Hello and welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. Today I have a very special guest joining me on Zoom from Victoria, Zoe Raymer. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Ben. It's uh, great to be here and uh, I uh, want to also acknowledge that uh, I'm uh, on the land of the uh, Songhees and Esquimalt people and in the city of uh, Victoria, which is lovely but baking right now. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in a heat wave here as well. So, uh, Zoe, I really want to thank you for taking the time to um, to share some of your story with me and why I thought it would be a great to have you as a guest on the podcast. We've met only a couple of times, but you're a family friend and yeah. also a social justice activist and really focused on some of the issues facing the LGBTQ community. And we're right at the tail end of Pride Month. Um, so my first question is, what have you been doing in Victoria to celebrate Pride Month in June? You know, um, with the pandemic, it's um, it's a bit of a challenge, but a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of events uh, online. And so, you know, we've been able to take part in and um, uh, sort of experience uh, sort of arts type uh, events. And uh, but, you know. Uh, I think what we also do is just sort of celebrate personally. Um, my partner, Lisa, and I um, uh, were just thinking about this the other day and and sort of saying, wow, we're, you know, we're uh, now the elders uh, of uh, the LGBTQ community. Um, and it's, uh, it's an interesting thing to reflect back on how much uh, has changed over you know, in, in really in such a short period of time. And the fact that you can walk down the street and, uh, you know, uh, rainbow flags are everywhere. People are uh, encouraging you to, um, uh, you know, use their services and buy their products um, yeah. and market to you, uh, which is a kind of secondary outcome. But it's it's just that it is uh, another opportunity to sort of acknowledge the changes that have been uh, made over the past, uh, you know, several decades. Well, I mean, I'm a little bit younger than you, and I, and I also have seen a huge shift even just in my adult years, like in the last, mm -hmm. since, you know, the late 90s to now, a lot of that was already happening back then when I was, you know, in high school and just starting to become more aware of it. But uh, Sarah and I were just driving through Castlegar a few days ago, and we walked into a cafe, and I noticed a rainbow uh, flag sticker on the right when you go to reach for the handle, uh, the door handle into this cafe, and it said, "This is a safe space." Right. And I thought that's great that they would just make that public intentional statement to show that this is just a welcoming place for anyone. Yep. And but they're deliberate about it instead of it just being like assumed that people would know. And that's something that I maybe wouldn't have seen even 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, as I, much. I think you're absolutely correct. And I think the intentionality feature is something that is really um, heartwarming, if you will, because they're, you know, my, my stories are, they're they can be amusing, but they're not um, just amusing in some ways. They're uh, reflective of a different time. And so, you know, when I uh, when I lived in Yellowknife, um, you know, it was in the early 90s and um, everyone knew uh, which uh, local establishments were 
at the time so-called gay friendly, but uh, there was no there was no public indication of that. For example, right. I grew up, uh, as you know, in Bashaw, and that was you know I was born in 1964, and so my childhood was the you know 70s, the, the late 60s, the 70s, and I left um, I left Alberta in the mid 80s, but uh, there was not. Um, uh, no one spoke. Uh, it was the word that, you know, must not be spoken. And I don't, I don't know, um, if anything is more significant maybe than the idea that, um, people are, yeah, like you say, intentional, uh, uh, intentional about their indication of, uh, inclusivity. Yeah, inclusivity, safety, you know, what we used to call tolerance. Isn't that something? (laughs) Hey, we'll tolerate you. Wow. And, you know, what a what a fabulous thing to come home to to Bashaw, for example, and to uh, in in the, you know, recent years and to to walk by drive by the United Church and to see the uh, the pride flag there and the welcoming messages um, and. That is not necessary. It wasn't necessarily a terrible place for uh, a young questioning lesbian of the day, but it it wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't as as obvious that I was uh, a part of that community. Right. So I'm I'm curious in growing up in such a small community. So for people that aren't aware, Basha is a, a small town in central Alberta of less than a thousand people. Um, and I would imagine that in your youth, there wasn't a whole range of options of gay friendly, as you put it, um, <laughs> hangout spots. <laughs> like there's, you know, no. two restaurants and one gas station. And there's just not a lot of that social infrastructure or um, no. places to feel. Like no. And you, yeah. Sorry, Ben. No, there wasn't. And, you know, the, so here's the funny, funny kind of sad story, uh, which ends very happily, by the way. So um, of of growing up um, in Basha in that era. So I knew that there was something, you know, not quite the same about me and the way I felt about life and and my my identity and people. Uh, you know, it wasn't the same as as everyone else's. And so, uh, or my friends, you know, and that, that's all, that becomes, that's, uh, something that you can recognize as a small child, but it becomes more obvious as you grow into your teens and, and beyond. So somewhere around the time I was about, I don't know, 10 or 11 or whatever, something like that. I, I went downstairs in our basement and we had a set of like really old encyclopedias from the forties or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, because I had heard the word homosexuality. And so, and I wasn't really, like I was, I wasn't really quite sure what that meant, but I thought maybe there was something I should, you know, kind of look into. So I looked it up in the encyclopedia and um, much to my uh, horror and chagrin at the time, it said, you know, mentally unstable individuals should be, uh, you know, in psychiatric institutions, you know. Wow. And, Along with a few other dis- descriptive factors, right? You know, yeah, attracted yeah. to members of their uh, their own sex, as as it was called then. And uh, so, luckily, I had the presence of mind and the um, 
And the real sort of solid uh, understanding that my, uh, that wasn't me. I, that couldn't be me. I was not some, I mean, I could be homosexual possibly, but I wasn't this kind of um, individual who was damaged and, uh, yeah. you know, and so Needing I kind of tucked that, yeah, yes, exactly. So I kind of tucked that away, you know, in the back of my, in the back of my mind. And I, I carried on about my, you know, junior high and high school life. And, you know, you always have those, those, um, folks that you can turn to no matter what your circumstances are. And while I, I didn't have the words or, or even the, uh, circumstances to come out as it were, I always knew that I had my family who were supportive of me no matter what, you know, that was just clear to me. And, you know, I, if I really had needed to, um, have other kinds of adult support, I knew I could turn to teachers and things like that, but, you know, really it kind of just got tucked away in the back of my mind. And I, you know, I figured, huh, geez, I, and I was kind of a, a typical, tomboy I would say maybe because I you know I had these three older brothers and they taught me to play football and hockey and and uh you know I really loved that and they took me out hunting um you know for ducks I was the retriever um <laughs> but uh, um and so I thought oh wow you know I guess if I get married some, some guy's gonna be really lucky because we'll watch sports <laughs> together and go hunting like honestly I had no clue really wow. but um but that was you know that was my my sort of uh it, it just wasn't talked about and not because people were necessarily um hiding things it just wasn't talked about you know they also mm -hmm. didn't talk you also didn't talk about your uh you know your straight kids and what their um particular behind closed doors uh you know uh circumstances were. <laughs> yeah no exactly it was just more way more private yeah um so so take us uh through some of that so a little bit more of that timeline of your story than zoe like you you had sort of a, a, a sort of, would you describe it as sort of a soft coming out of just like to your, to your family? To myself, no, to myself it was the first part. And okay. I went to school, um, after I left high school in Basha, I went to what was then called uh, Camrose Lutheran College, so Augustana University. And so at the time, affiliated with the uh, Lutheran Church and but what a welcoming institution that was and what a wonderful, ex, you know, first exposure to the, the broader world and ideas of, of a sort of a liberal education and a li liberal arts education. And I met, honestly, Ben, I met my first out lesbian at Camrose Lutheran College and she was a professor there and, okay. uh, and the coach of the basketball team. Um, which, you know, um, I'm sure all um, uh, lesbians uh, are into sports, right? Um, and they wear sensible <laughs> shoes. That was sort of the stereotype of the day. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but what a, what a wonderful kind of um, realization for me that even in an institution, a faith-based in institution, uh, the option of being authentic and true to yourself was available. And so I spent a lot of time, like, God love her. She was a, a mentor in terms of 
what it means to be an authentic individual to be, I'm not even sure if she realizes the extent to which um, she helped mold my, my sort of perspective on, mm. on living in the world as a, mm. as a honest, um, truthful individual. And so wow. I, I look back on that time and think how lucky was I to go to this place where, you know, um, in this, maybe in the most inexplicable of places at the time, uh, okay. you know, it, uh, my life was being affirmed and, uh, it was, it was fabulous. I still didn't come out, but I, not to anyone but her. Right. So in, mm. in a way she was my, my first, um, sort of vote. Uh, it, it was to her that I first vocalized, um, you know, my sexual orientation and, and she was just a real, um, supportive mm. individual. And, uh, so super gift. lucky there. And, you know, who would have, who would have guessed it at, at, you know, at, in that day at that place. So, sorry, that was, a. I just, for folks listening, I just swatted a wasp. So, um, Ooh, good catch. Be <laughs> better that Ooh. than a, a sting. Um, yeah, so that was a, a fabulous introduction, but what it made me realize is that if I was going to be true to me and to the individual that my parents had raised me to be and my community had supported me to be un unwittingly in a way, I needed to, to be able to come out. But that was, that was a challenging thought process. And, and, uh, so I, I avoided it for a little while. I went, uh, I finished my schooling in cameras and went to the University of Alberta and uh, got set up there and had, uh, uh, I was pursuing an education degree. And so that was another thing in the back of my mind. Um, and it was like, yeah, I don't know if being a teacher and being gay are compatible. And in that era, that was the honest to God truth, right? Oh yeah, people are gonna trust their kids or trust you with their kids. You exactly. Know? We can't yeah. have uh, people with questionable morals, and <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And so I, you know, I, I was I was sort of wondering exactly how I would um, uh, marry those two concepts up, but whatever, you know. So I I got to Edmonton. I joined the um, there was an uh, a nascent gay and lesbian organization called uh, Gaylock, Gay and Lesbians on Campus. And, and hmm. for those of you who are more familiar with today's terminology and, and alphabet of uh, inclusivity, um, that's what it was back then. And hmm. so I, I like very surreptitiously joined this organization. And of course, that was also a, a, a really good thing, a positive thing. But you know, it was clear to me, okay, Zoe, you, you really got to get your act together here and uh, talk to your family. Yeah. So um, what's your guess, Ben? Do you think I did it or didn't do it right away? I don't know. I'm on, I'm on the edge of my seat here, literally. Um, <laughs> but yeah, share, share more with me. Okay. So I, um, I, ha I, I made some friends and, you know, one day my friend, uh, her name is, uh, her name is T.A., and uh, she's now a professor at Memorial University in, in Newfoundland. 
and a mountaineer and a all round great person. Uh, but she and I were like, oh dear God, what, you know, let's go. Uh, first of all, we decided we would go to a gay club because that was the thing to do. And we drove around <laughs> the block about eight times before we got the courage to stop and go in and go in the door. And it's like, you have to sign your name. It's, it's a private club. And so members had to sign in. Oh, and wow. That's the way it was back then. So it was before the internet. So you, you, like you just had to know you had that, to kind of know, yeah, yeah, that the roost in Edmonton was the gay bar, and <laughs> oh, anyway, it was hilarious. So I'm like, I, right, what am I going to do if I know somebody? And and my friend TA, who obviously with a PhD is a little bit brighter than I am, said, uh, Zoe, they're here for the same reason we are. So I think it's okay. I'm like, oh yeah, right, okay. And of course, I did meet somebody I knew, but um, <laughs> there you have it. So anyway, after all of that. The next day we were um, we were walking around campus going to a class and um, a, uh, a young woman um, had an epileptic seizure. And my, my, I know it's a weird story, but stick with me. It gets to a, a, a really good point. Um, and so my friend TA was also uh, a wilderness um, paramedic. And so she and I went and, you know, tried to support this young woman while we called the campus um, paramedics and the like. And anyway, everything turned out fine. But I, I hightailed it home to my apartment and I was a little bit shaken up by that, you know. And so the first thing I always did when I was a little shook um, was call my mom. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you call your mom and they help you through it. So I phoned up my mom and I'm like, mom, you wouldn't believe what happened. And she's like, what? And I said, oh, well, this woman had a, has a seizure and TA and I had to help her. And she's like, oh, Zoe, that's not why you called. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is. I'm pretty sure it is. And she's like, no, look. <sighs> she said, you know, you've been coming home every weekend for the last six, eight months and moping around the house and looking like you wanted to talk to us. And, you know, your dad and I, um, we we know that you're gay and we just think you're having a hard time <laughs> telling us. <laughs> and we just want you to know that we love you and we support you. We don't know a lot about it, but we, um, you know, just, uh, oh, and by the way, your dad's out golfing. I'm sure when he comes home, he'll give you a call. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, and did you hear that the uh, Royal Purple is, uh, you know, serving lunch at the And I'm like, wow, that I think I just my parents just told me I was gay. And <laughs> that's exactly the way it happened, Ben. And I went wow. home and they were so um, lovingly. Uh, unconditionally accepting that. That was the, you know, that was really the turning point in in my sort of um, quest for authenticity, right? Wow. So yeah, no kidding. You know, and little little town in the middle of nowhere, two people who, while worldly in many ways, uh, were a product of their times, and you know, had no experience with um, gay and lesbian issues. They may well have met gay and lesbian individuals, but you know, it, it, I was their daughter and that was the end of that story. And yeah. so, That's all um, it, it was a remarkable and, um, and intrinsic, uh, part of who I became and who, who I am. 
And I'm sure that it was a, a huge um, part of you at some point, and we'll get to, to this uh, part of your story, but becoming more than just authentically, you know, I'm going to be who I am, but I'm going to also do something to right. try to support this community, make it easier for other people and, and try to, ch- to create some change. So exactly. when, when was it for you that you started to think like, okay, it's, it's, you know, I've told my family or my, my mom told me, <laughs> not even that no. you breaking the news to her. No, but, no. Um, so you, you felt authentic with, with some friends and you had this mentor figure and now your parents know when did it turn to, I want to, f- to fight for what's right and, and fight for some change? You know, all my, like I had this, I think I, I'm not sure where it came from. I mean, my, my, my dad was, um, you know, a, uh, he truly believed in community service. He served on town council. He served in the vestry of the Anglican church. He was the mayor of Bashaw. He, he, my mom was a volunteer with the Royal Purple, um, Mm -hmm. the library. They really believed in community service. And so I think in my, in my value set, serving your community was really a part of, of, uh, who I was, but I had to find out who my community was that I could serve and how I could serve best. And, you know, I, I sort of was a, uh, champion of the underdog as many of us are, you know, we all like, like, how about those Habs right now? Right. Like, um, (laughs) we're all, uh, rooting for the underdog and, and those who maybe have, um, you know, experiences in life that make it more challenging for them or, or whatever. So, So that was part of who I was. And so as I moved from sort of my university years and I got a job, not as a teacher, but as a broadcaster, and we'll just leave that part of the story out, but because um, it's kind of boring, but I switched uh, careers and I got a job in Yellowknife and I had Yellowknife, like how the heck did I get that? Um uh, I didn't apply. My my audition tapes were sent around all over uh, sort of Western Canada. And some guy from Yellowknife calls and says, wow, you have a ballsy voice. We'd like to hire you. <laughs> I'm like, uh, thank you, I guess. Thank you. Um, and so I moved to Yellowknife. And it was there really that I, um, I, I found my, um, my community. Uh, still entrenched in secrecy, but I found my community and I found the opportunities to um, to try and make things uh, better. And truly, my my activist life was centered almost entirely in the Northwest Territories, okay. and uh, it was a place that was ripe for that kind of work. It it's not that it it was an un uh, an intolerant or or um, unaccepting kind of place. It was just that, in fact, the opposite. It was ready to embrace. It always had embraced the newcomers, the mm. you know the folks who were slightly um, more adventurous, maybe who made their way to that place, and you know a community um, which, in its remoteness had to rely on its own resources mm. and and the like and a nascent you know a nascent 
political entity as well as a as a territory which had just been you know um within the previous decade or so had the opportunity to govern itself there was all kinds of opportunity aboriginal rights indigenous rights were were uh at the forefront of of many of the um sort of uh discussions the and and struggles at that point in time but it it left room i think for other voices as well so yeah i moved to yellowknife and that's where it all sort of started for me so how did you first zoe get involved or what was it that you that uh caught your attention that you really felt passionate about changing what was sort of the first thing to tackle that you said i'm gonna get roll up my sleeves and 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 get involved with this well, thankfully, I, I met some really great individuals, and I met them through, and, and this uh, also was a, a surprise to me, I met them through the, the YWCA, and the YWCA of Yellowknife uh, was probably the most progressive um, feminist organization um, in, in the territory, and I gravitated towards that organization, and as a side note, spent, you know, seven years um, of intense volunteerism with them because indeed they were at the forefront of kind of progressive change for women, children, families. And to my, um, to my delight, um, gay and lesbian issues as well. Now they hadn't started that conversation, but the people there were willing to have, you know, have that conversation. And so as I explored, you know, supporting um, issues and and change on in sort of women's rights, um, I was able to find some like-minded folks who were like, you know, there's a really great lesbian community here. The gay community is a little. It, it was beleaguered at the time, Ben. It was, it was, you know, uh, the middle of. Uh, the AIDS pandemic, and mm. it was a struggle for gay men to uh, to be in such a remote area, to live openly, etc. But wow, there was a big lesbian community. So, uh, and those were two separate communities, even. Hey, it, it's true. I mean, you know, we we knew uh, each other, but it wasn't, uh, and it wasn't exclusive by choice. It was just, it was just by by. I guess, affiliation, really, you know? And so the, you know, there was a few of us who said, okay, you know, geez, maybe we should have a, a party because if we can't, you know, do, we're not ready to be sort of activists, maybe we can just gather our community together and give them an opportunity to celebrate and, and explore the social aspects of, because that had never been done that, you know, we didn't have a gay bar to cruise around eight times before we went in. Um, <laughs> and there was no pride month. And there was no pride month. And but it sounds like you were, what you were seeking to do is create something with the same essence of what we do now. Exactly. So that's, that's what we did. We uh, got together and we had a Halloween party. That was our hmm. very first, um, and we advertised it and that caused a schism in the community. I it's bet. true. Yeah. But they, you pulled it you, off? Pardon me? But you, you pulled it off and, had, we, and went forth? and. Yeah, we did. And we had a, a Halloween party that was advertised sort of on bulletin boards, you know, and there were folks who were afraid that, 
you know, it was an invitation to violence. And, you know, these are folks who have migrated to the NWT from Toronto, from, you know, Vancouver and places where, where hate crimes and violence against gays and lesbians was a, a real thing. And so they were concerned that by advertising our location, we would be inviting, you know, some, uh, some folks to come and, and, uh, and uh, express their uh, displeasure. But that was definitely not the case. And uh, we had our, our little party. And from that, we uh, decided that uh, there was, uh, this was the uh, dawning of the era of the gay games, which were a um, sporting event for uh, uh, LGBTQ people around the globe. And Vancouver was the host. And so we thought, well, let's get together a softball team and let's do some fundraising. And so, you know, little bit by little bit, we, um, we sort of brought the community out, if you will, in the city of Yellowknife. And then finally, we, we decided that um, we were going to try to have a gay pride event uh, okay. in, that, in that year. So and what, what uh, year the YWCA, sorry, Ben. What year was this, Zoe? Uh, I'd have to, I think it was 1990. Yeah, okay. 1990. And uh, so we talked to the um, to the YWCA, and they said, "Well, you can have it in our offices if you want, which happened to be in a sort of the basement of a of a uh, high rise in Yellowknife, which was a re- retail location as well." And so, so a couple of us organized the uh, first uh, gay pride. Uh, event in Yellowknife in the basement of what was called the Scotia Center. And it had a remarkable turnout of uh, three people. Uh, (laughs) My best friend, uh, her son, who was a toddler, and one intrepid journalist who uh, came to to find out what the heck was going on. (laughs) So four, including yourself. Oh, shoot. Yes. I, I underestimated the crowd. (laughs) Um, in a way that, uh, yeah, Trump wouldn't have done. Um, (laughs) so that was our first event, Ben, and it was, um, it was meager, but it was, uh, it was, it was there. It happened. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess from there, you know, just in terms of, uh, that, that was the step that we needed to take. We created an organization, uh, the, the, the gay and lesbian uh, rights organization, the National Gay and Res- Lesbian Rights Organization, EGAL, um, kind of heard of this, something's going on up there, people are starting, like, can we support you? And so they took a trip, uh, their their um, CEO took a, a trip up to Yellowknife, and from that we um, organized and created a, an organization which we, we dubbed Out North. Oh, and that became the uh, the organization from which we um, began supporting the gay and lesbian, uh, bisexual, transgender community in uh, in Yellowknife, and we, um, you know, it, it was a very uh, sort of intense period of time in those you know early nineties. Um, because we, we were starting from the ground up and, uh, but we did a lot of really 
uh, productive, positive things, I think. And, you know, we petitioned city council to, um, to declare gay pride day, for example, and that did not work out well. Didn't go over well the first, first attempt. Where, uh, the first, second the... and third attempts didn't wow. work out so well. <laughs> so Zoe, give us a sense of in the early nineties, what was the Northwest Territories and, and Yellowknife like in terms of legal rights and in terms of like, could you, could, uh, could you have a homosexual couple mar- get married or like, where, where were we at? Right. So we were just like the rest of the country. Um, there were n- literally uh, no, um, no rights for uh, same-sex couples um, pertaining to their relationship. They couldn't adopt children. They couldn't enter into legal unions. Um, you couldn't, so for example, you couldn't create a next of kin relationship with your partner. Gay marriage was a ways off at that point in time, for sure. Um, You could be expelled from your living location if somebody found out you were gay. What? Yeah, for sure. You know, it was, there was, it was not an inclusive grounds uh, of uh, discrimination in any of the, um, the laws of the day. So you could, you could, uh, lose your job. Um, and really you couldn't, there was nothing you could do about it at the time. There was no legal recourse and the rest of the country was moving at pace to, to change that. Um, and you know, we wanted to, to follow suit and, and, you know, there were some very courageous and, and brave. And I say that in all honesty, because it's not an easy thing to be a trailblazer um, at all, south of 60, who were starting legal challenges with the support of EGAL um, on all of those fronts, you know, spousal recognition, uh, adoption rights, um, and uh, inclusion uh, of a of sexual orientation as a as a prohibited ground for discrimination in charter in the charter uh yeah you know so we we jumped on board that but that was the the state of play right so you were very vulnerable um and really putting yourself out there hey yeah and and even if you weren't putting yourself out there um you know if joe blow decided he he knew you know uh Frank was gay and he didn't want him renting his apartment. He could just say no or kick him out. And there were no, you know, Frank had no legal recourse to, um, to, to combat that. And so you could be a very quiet closeted gay person uh, and, or not even, but if somebody decided you were gay or thought you were gay, they could do whatever they essentially wanted. And you know, I guess you have to kind of look back to 1969 was the year that homosexuality um, was decriminalized. So it's not that long ago, right? No kidding. And do you know that I learned in in passing that, so if, if you've sort of looked at any of this in the historical context, um, you may have heard the, the sort of famous phrase that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, the elder, who was uh, the Minister of Justice at the time, kind of uttered on the steps of of uh, the Parliament buildings when he said, you know, about 
about laws against uh, homosexuality, where he said, you know, the state has no place in the bedrooms of the nation. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that was in response to a court case that uh, was just wending its way through the Supreme Court of Canada. And it was uh, it was the Queen versus uh, George Everett Clippert. And George Everett Clippert was the last man in Canada to be um, uh, charged with uh, convicted of and imprisoned for what was then called gross indecency and was essentially for having a homosexual relationship. Wow. And what I learned uh, was that George Clippert um, was a resident of Pine Point, Northwest Territories. Oh. And his case essentially made its way through the courts of the Northwest Territories uh, into the Supreme Court of Canada. He was imprisoned and declared a, a dangerous offender because this was his second admitted uh, offense. Yeah, offense. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, uh, a Northwest Territories resident, um, was incarcerated in Prince Albert. And in 1969, his case finally made it through the Supreme Court and uh, laws changed. He remained incarcerated for another two years. And it was only recently that Justin Trudeau um, provided a posthumous and retroactive pardon for Mr. Clippert. Mm. But as a Northwest Territory resident of the 90s, learning that, which was a piece of history I had no clue about, made me really think, okay, we need to step up the, you know, the, the fight here. We have yeah. our own history, which needs to be A, reclaimed, and then B, uh, you know, we need to make some advancements here. And yeah. so that was sort of how we started our efforts with the government of the Northwest Territories uh, to advocate for law, uh, changes in law. Uh, locally. Locally in the territory, yeah. Yeah. And so meanwhile, we... the same thing was happening across Canada. Right, in parallel. Yeah. So and we would maybe kind of jump forward a little bit here um, by asking this question, but what were you able to collectively achieve? Like what, what happened over the next, you know, 20 some years? Yeah. Well, you know what, honestly, most of the work transpired in the, in the sort of late nineties, early two thousands. And what um, I'm really proud of is, is we were able to, um, make changes to spousal rights legislation. We were able to support um, changes in family law to allow for gay and lesbian couples to adopt children and to be, you know, to be declared the legal uh, guardian of their spouse's children. Mm. Um, and next of kin. For and, and next yeah. of kin, which was a really important thing at that time. Mm. We, uh, we supported, um, the efforts, uh, I guess the next thing, and, and this one is the one that I'm really proud of, is that uh, our human rights legislation in the NWT was under review. And well, in fact, there wasn't a human piece of human rights legislation at the time that was um, specific to the Northwest Territories. I mean, we were all subject to the charter, but um, uh, each individual provincial and territorial jurisdiction had the opportunity and ability to establish its own human rights legislation, which either uh, went further or, or more specifically into, you know, supports for uh, non-discrimination. And so 
with the help of EGAL, we uh, we did a lot of lobbying and, and advocacy work. And believe me, education was at the forefront of this because what we were able to do was not only to include sexual orientation as a prohibited uh, basis for discrimination in the NWT's Human Rights Act, but also uh, sexual identity. And so trans people were um, protected in law in the Northwest Territories. It was the first jurisdiction in all of Canada, and certainly in, in fact in North America, that explicitly protected sexual identity as, um, as you know, uh, equivocally as that in, in law. And so that was, I think, our, our most um, uh, telling achievement over the course of the years. And I mean, if you think about it, you know, we spent time in committee um, speaking to politicians who, the Northwest Territories is, you know, it's a, it's a wonderfully sophisticated place, but it's also a place of small communities. Um, and it's, there were issues far more important to people than gay and lesbian issues, you know, collective indigenous rights topped that. And, and I understand that, but individual rights also were important. And mm. so, but that wasn't at the forefront. So you had to kind of look for advocates, um, within government. And, you know, we had, we had some and we, you know, indigenous members of the legislative assembly helped us too. And we were able to, um, educate folks to what, for example, sexual identity meant. And, you know, there's, there were some really odd comments and <laughs> things, sure. which, you know, we, um, we, some of us still look back at and chuckle about, but, you know, often it came out of sheer, and I mean this in the, in the literal way, sheer ignorance, yeah. um, rather than, than malice. So right. that was, I think our crowning achievement. Well, we, what's the, the phrase we, we can do better when we know better. And so that with any movement or any campaign or any, um, social movement, social change, you have to create that awareness and that education. Absolutely. Yeah. So that folks don't say things like, not if, Every constituent in my constituency told me to vote for this. Would I vote for that? I'm like, okay, well, you know, um, I'm not sure if you understand the concept of re-election, but um, okay. <laughs> or what right do we as, as members of the Legislative Assembly have to make laws and change laws in the Northwest Territories? Uh, legislative. I think that's your job. <laughs> And the, but anyway, the, this is what you were hearing yeah. from people. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, we were very proud of that. And, you know, to this day, um, it, uh, remains as a, uh, a, a point of, uh, you know, great pride for the, the government of the Northwest territories as well, that, you know, it had the foresight, um, and it can point to those, those moments where it did the mm -hmm. right thing. And I think mm -hmm. that was the tact we took with lawmakers and, and leaders was to say, you know, this is about doing the right thing. This is about making sure that all citizens in your territory have equal opportunity, equal access, and equal protection under the law. Nobody's asking for special rights. No one's saying that collective rights aren't important. 
but what we would want you to do is the right thing. And, you know, we never took a super adversarial tone. We always tried to take a educational um, but firm um, perspective to them and and offer them the chance to to know better and then do better. And they did. So you, you obviously must have throughout this journey had a certain level of faith in humanity that people would, once they knew better, want to do the right thing. Where did, you know, where did that faith in like that, that optimism, if you want to call it that, or faith, where, where did that come from for you? Well, if you harken back to the beginning of my story, it came from the support I got from my parents, my mm-hmm. family my three older brothers who each wrote me letters and said, you know, Zoe, you're our sister. We'll do whatever we can to support you. We know you're gay. You're just too chicken to tell us. Um, You know, optimism comes from, you know, those closest around you supporting you, watching change happen within a community and seeing who you're, you know, who you really are supporting. I had a fabulous workplace where I could be, uh, I, and I worked for the government, you know, after I decided broadcasting was really a poor paid um, occupation where people just bitched at you all the time. I didn't realize that was exactly <laughs> what government was, too, although the pay was better. Um, I, uh, I had a fabulous workplace where I was just Zoe. I was, you know, a lesbian. I was an activist in the community. Uh, I was the employee, the boss, the friend. And, mm-hmm. you know, all of that in a small community like Yellowknife gives you the support, you know, you need. And humanity, yes, we have displayed our our most horrific um, tendencies. And, you know, we've, we've all heard stories recently uh, and we wonder what, what in God's earth, uh, faith-based people were, were thinking, um, you know, uh, for example, as, as it pertains to residential schools Mm -hmm. or, uh, other, um, equally tragic and, and horrific circumstances. And, and then you see the microcosm in a small community where, you know, one voice, uh, begets another voice of support begets another, and organizations come together, people come together. And we always used to say, you know, if you knew, if you know me, Zoe, and you know, Janice and Andrea, and you know, uh, Lauren, and you know, you know, then you know, gay and lesbian people in your community. And mm-hmm. if you know us, and you love us, or maybe just like us, <laughs> what, you know, what is, what is it that is preventing you from, and so, you know, we were able to kind of, by being out, appeal to the best in, in folks. And, mm. you know, it was a very, uh, uh, s- sort of, um, you know, each opportunity allowed for the next opportunity. You know, I had a, I had a, uh, vice principal from one of the schools call me and say, do you think you could come and talk to the kids? Um, in, uh, our junior high, we're having a junior high introductory, uh, sort of, you know, Friday night, they all slept over at the school and they had, you know, little speakers and movies. And so I said, yeah, sure. But it was the Catholic school that invited me, not the public school. And the 
the I don't think this vice principal really checked with his school board or maybe even his principal. I'm not sure, but he knew it was the right thing to do. And, you know, I didn't go in there to just talk about necessarily being gay. I went in there to talk about what it means to be a leader in your community and how do you define leadership and what is it that, that you have to, uh, you know, you have to, uh, set up as a support system and how is it that you want to lead as kids and, and, you know, the leaders of the next generation. And that, you know, for me, I said to, uh, this fellow, I said, that's going to include me speaking about being gay. And he says, Oh, I hope so. Um, that's why, you know, we wanted you to come. And so, so it was those kinds of things because human beings at their, I believe, um, at their heart and, and in their soul are, are want, I guess, want things to be better, want to, uh, you know, and sometimes that gets perverted into, into, you know, sort of behaviors, which are destructive. But I think, you know, I just have to believe that people want, uh, a better place for their kids. They want a better world for tomorrow. And so, you know, the haters going to hate is the, um, is the, is the phrase of the day, or maybe I'm at least a day late on that one, but, um, you know, it's, it's the truth. And I, I just had to believe that there were going to be more people who supported me than, and us and our, 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 you know, fight than, than didn't. And in every circumstance, that was the truth, whether it was my family, you know, my community, my workplace, uh, the greater sort of population, if you will, and society in general, as we started this conversation saying, you know, pride month and gay and lesbian issues. I mean, kids today, it's just, it's just how it is. You know, they've got friends, uh, who are, uh, who define themselves on the spectrum of, you know, sexual identity from A to Z, and they've got, you know, it's just a different world, and that's right. why, you know, we did it. And, and so it's just no big deal. It's Enough. it's NBD, yeah. Ben. Yeah. NBD, <laughs> and uh, and that is probably the most heartening um, yeah. part of the whole thing. It's just like. Some days I'm like, man, I, what about a good, you know, rabble rousing march uh, yeah. for, you know, and and there are other things today that we need to to march about and and to continue mm-hmm. the, you know, the uh, the fight, the fight. Yeah. But it's a it's an incredible journey that took place over a really short period of time when you think about it. Yeah. And that's not always the case. I mean, sometimes in even specifically within uh, social justice issues, you have people like yourself who are advocating and tirelessly working to create change. And really they're planting seeds of, or saplings of trees that are, won't even bear fruit in their lifetime. You know, right. that they that their greatest hope might be that they create the change for their next generation. Yeah. Hopefully see it, but they know that it's not likely to happen within their lifetime. And here you've seen unbelievable transformation um in Canada and yeah and in your community up up north just in those couple of decades it's amazing and we all stand on the shoulders of giants right and so uh those folks like you know George 
Everett Clipper wasn't an activist. He was just a man trying to live his life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, by allowing his, well, allowing his case to move forward, uh, great change took place. The, you know, the, the folks, uh, M versus H, um, those, that case is the case of, of two uh, lesbians in the South who wanted their, um, uh, their union to be uh, legalized and accepted. So we all, we all stand on the shoulders of someone else who has made change, but the, the, the real sort of joy of seeing that happen, you know, and, and recognizing it within, certainly within my lifetime, but even within a short period of time is uh, what a reward, right? And like you mm. say, not everybody g- gets to see that. And, yeah. and, you know, it's a good thing because we, you get tired, you know, you, you work hard and that's why, you know, we pass the torch to younger folks who will push the envelope even further. And um, I can't wait to see, you know, what happens in, in the next 20 years, because I think progress, despite what some people believe progress is inevitable. And, um, you know, it may seem like we cycle back, um, from time to time, but I truly believe that we take more steps forward than we do back. Mm. And that's because folks continue to believe in, you know, the fairly lofty concepts of equality and, and, um, you know, the, uh, the ability for each of us to live our lives in a way that makes sense to us doing no harm to others. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty hopeful. I'm I'm really interested to see what happens. I'm glad you are. I am too. And I think that, uh, each of those victories just helps to snowball and create more momentum for more progress. And so that it isn't just this, you know, step and then another step and then another step it actually starts to um to build momentum and to and to happen faster and maybe that is why like you said you stand on the shoulders of of others before you and maybe things were moving you know a lot slower in previous decades but because of all that work is is why this has been able to be um make progress so much more more quickly I think it's important. And I think no matter what your, your cause is or what, you know, you're struggling for, mm-hmm. it's really important to go back and, and remember your history and to investigate that history, you know, as a, as a, uh, lesbian individual growing up in Canada, I needed to know about George Everett Clippert. I needed to know about the bathhouse raids in Toronto. I needed to know about Little Sisters Bookshop in Vancouver and customs raids on, you know, uh, written materials. I needed to understand what those folks um, who had gone before me were struggling for and to really acknowledge their contributions and to say, okay, and I think you're 100% right, Ben, the snowball it 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 was there you know we just continued to push it our snowball is is much bigger now and i hope others will um continue to create um change through uh growing that that movement in mm-hmm. whatever way and other movements too for sure yeah it's an exciting period of time to that we get to be alive to see it always yeah, yeah. Well, Zoe, I've loved hearing some of the history that you've shared, especially your personal history and your story. 
thank you for being so open and vulnerable and so willing to, to share that so generously with us. Oh, it was my pleasure. And thank you for asking me, Ben, and uh, continued success with your podcast, because I think it explores issues that maybe aren't uh, top of mind for everyone every day. But thinking about how we live our lives, um, you know, spiritually, emotionally, and uh, in our communities is super important. So um, thank you. I'm going to go back and and listen to some more podcasts. Oh, thank you for that. And I I hope you enjoy them. That's That is absolutely why I love doing this and just getting to meet and hear more from such interesting and inspiring people. And um, you're definitely one of those for me. So thank you. Thank you for doing all of that work that you've dedicated your your life to and time to. And um, it's it's just awesome to hear more about it and you feel inspired by that. So I'm sure that all of our listeners uh, feel the same way. Thanks you, thank you everybody for for checking out this episode of the podcast today. Uh, if you're interested in hearing more great stories and inspiring stories of human spirituality like this one, check them out at our website risingspiritministry.com, um, or you can also subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast app. Leave us a rating and a review. Share episodes that you've enjoyed with your friends and family. And uh, we have a new episode coming out every second Friday. So. There's always more great stories to coming your way. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening. And thank you again, Zoe, for connecting with me today. Thank you, Ben.